0: Here we go, ha ha, Given sound guys anxiety for the last four years. Andrew Mook, how are you? (laughs) That's a really true statement in more ways than one. Um, This has been said three times already, I'm gonna say it one last time, Columbus Theater next Sunday, 10 a.m. I wanna encourage folks, a lot of folks have asked about parking. If you go to EasterinPVD.com, there's a bunch of information. Uh, about it. easter in pvd.com that's a great also link to send to people if you want to invite them uh, there's a little letter from Corey and i on there about like the service and church and a little bit of basic information about what to expect and all of that and then a breakdown of everything with kids programming and things like that it's all on that site um, but i will say if you live in the west side barring a snowstorm on easter please walk to church right walk to church uh, if you have bikes bike to church um, we have a few lots secured that we'll have parking greeters who are really loud, like pointing you in. Um, and uh, we have, there's tons of free on-street parking, like that whole stretch of road, so even if you have to walk a few minutes. But we would encourage you, we truly are not worried about parking. Uh, we're worried just about a, a little bit of a delay with the service and the amount of time it takes to get parked and come in. So we just want to encourage folks to plan on, I know our community's not so hot at this, um, but hey, we're all growing. Um, they say the culture of a church is largely set by the culture of a pastor, and I'm perpetually late. So, you're welcome. Um, if we could do a good job at getting there, even like 15, 10 minutes, even five minutes early will really help. Um, and uh, encourage your friends to do that, too. If you're like a regular, you like to walk in the morning, you like a nice, beautiful walk down Broadway, maybe you've never been to Broadway, you're like one of these eastsiders who are totally quarantined on that side of the city, there are other spots. Um, this particular stretch is beautiful, so I would encourage you if you're a regular and you're up for walking, maybe even intentionally park a little further away, so when new folks come, they can find parking close. We appreciate that. Sound good? I'm so excited, so excited for next week. Um, lastly, one quick other announcement about the Columbus. I think I have a slide for this. Yeah, so Bolt Coffee. Um, many of you know uh, the, one of the owners of Bolt comes to our community and was generous to. Uh, Really help us out in creating a um, pour over bar that's going to be there for us. So uh, if you've never been to Bolt, you should go. Uh, Easter service sponsored by Bolt. They didn't pay us anything for this. Um, (laughs) But we're just really excited. Can you guys just give Brian and the whole team just a round of applause and thanking them for that? So uh, that's that. Great. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to talk on Palm Sunday i haven 't done this in four years, so four years ago I gave a talk on about on and about Palm Sunday uh, off we've usually make reference to it we'll maybe do a little reflection, but i haven 't taught on it and so one of our values our goals this year that were set was biblical literacy. We want to do a better job. A lot of folks in this community are brand new to the way of jesus they 're brand new to the Bible or or they feel like they 've had this really jacked up understanding of scripture that really isn 't uh, maybe the, the The health. I feel like there's an intuitive sense that I I feel like I've have been reading the Bible maybe one dimensionally, and so uh, I wanted to uh, to actually teach on Palm Sunday again to give. There's a lot of different historical angles to hit on, so this isn't going to be conclusive for those of you who know sort of the history of Palm Sunday, um, but it's going to hit maybe some bits of history that you weren't aware of. And I think what actually gets drawn out of this at the end. So those of you who hated history class, this is going to be a tough one for you for a little while. Hang on. Take notes. Truly. Follow me uh, as we go through this. I'm going to be looking down on my notes maybe a little more often than normal just to help us track through what's happening in the history that's taking place here. And then why the story that Stacia just read to us is actually more timely than ever more timely than ever. In presidential debates, multiple times, there have been statements like, carpet bomb them. Like, pro, um, like, we, we, when we really evaluate, we need to have more flexible understandings when it comes to torture. This has been uh, a, a, a dominant point of conversation. And, and, And even across the aisle, in an election season, and and I would argue any really season, but it's highlighted in this season, the reality of who is powerful and who is not come full circle, Or, or sorry, get kind of highlighted and pulled out. Who's powerful and who's not? When it comes to our country, every presidential candidate across the board, greatest country on earth. Two presidents who claim to be Christians, there's been many, but George W. Bush and Barack Obama both said America is the hope of the world. Two, two men who claim to be Christians saying America is the hope of the world. However good that's, that, that the, the meaning may be behind it of, hey, we've done all right in some things. Uh, it, it, that statement, right? As followers of Jesus, and you may not be here and be a follower of Jesus. I understand you're already feeling really uncomfortable. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we actually look at that phrase and we say heresy. Amen? Amen? I don't care where you're at on the political spectrum. That has been said from the far left to the far right. And as a Christian, American, I say, no, that's actually very not true. And so the Palm Sunday story actually confronts us with our view of power And how we think about what actually kind of wins the day, not just in a global geopolitical sense, but in our hearts and as we enter into the daily activities and conflicts of our life. How is that for a setup? Matthew 27. Here's some background. I'm gonna go for a little while and then we're gonna return to our text. One characters that you need to know, the chief priests. The chief priests are the ruling minority elite. Which sounds like an oxymoron. The chief priests are the folks that are in a position that even though the the people of Israel are occupied by Rome, they're the ones who have been given power through these sort of this puppet king from 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 Rome, and we'll get to all this in a minute, who who are 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 essentially ruling and keeping the peace. A week before Jesus' crucifixion, which happens on Good Friday. Jesus entered Jerusalem, uh, and the focus of the Jewish people is all like zeroed in on this particular festival. There are millions of Christians for thousands of years who have reflected on the story of Palm Sunday and what it actually means for us to like make sense of how this, I guess we would say, relates to us. So these chief priests, these, sorry, get over this. Chief priests, these people decided that they must kill Jesus. uh, there's a number of things, that details that end up happening that actually draw the folks that are supposed to be keeping the peace for the Roman guard um, and uh, that upset them enough that they feel they need to put Jesus to death. They bind him, lead him away, and hand him over to Pilate, the governor. So the Jewish people have been under foreign occupation and oppression for centuries. So these people who are called to be a blessing to the world They're called to be the people of God. They have this destiny over their life and they are um, they have been oppressed. Uh, Since about 586 BC there's been a succession of empires. There's the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks and then the Romans. They wanted to be free to live in their own land without outside interference, occupation and domination. The Roman Empire rules the world from England to modern day England to India. So First, second character, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar tries to consolidate everything. His adopted son, Octavian, who later changes his name to Caesar, Augustus, kind of becomes the first then Caesar who ruled this land. So where Julius is consolidating everything, bringing bringing everything together, the first Caesar, the first king, emperor, who kind of was able to reap the benefit of that was his adopted son, Octavian, this is a global superpower with one leader at the top overseeing the whole thing. Caesar Augustus believed a couple of things that are interesting if you know your Bible. That he had, one, come from heaven to earth to bring about a universal reign of peace and prosperity. He believed that he was the son of the gods incarnate on the earth. Interesting. He used a propaganda phrase Caesar is Lord. And. Another great phrase that we found an inscription of actually in the last hundred years. There is no, name, no other name under heaven by which people can be saved than that of Caesar. Anyone ever heard of that before? There's no other name under heaven that you can be saved than Caesar. Yeah, yeah, it's in the Bible. He instituted a 12-year celebration of his birth called, get this, the advent of the Caesar. 12 days before his birth, advent. If lights on your dashboard are not coming up, biblical literacy, we got this. You could offer sacrifices to him and he would forgive you in a way of your sins. These foreign oppressors actually began to like divinize, like make divine their political leaders. So it wasn't just this person is a great powerful leader, they were godlike. And then it shifts to not that they're just godlike, they're actually divine. So when you conquer the whole world, how do you rule countries, countries from distances that, may, that might take you three weeks to travel? How do you actually rule and maintain order when you're not able to pick up a telephone, you're not able to send messages? So communication is crucial. In the ancient world, you would spread the word of your reign through coins, through coins. So Caesar Augustus dies, which leads to Caesar Tiberius, which is ruling at the time of Jesus. The coin, I think it's on the screen behind you, this is the actual coin of Tiberius, had the image and inscription of the emperor, and when you conquer a land, you would demand a tax or a tribute to raise money and to conquer the lands. So if you were a Jew in Israel uh, and Rome had conquered you, do you pay a tax or tribute to these Caesars that claim to be gods? Caesar says he's God, and I'm supposed to pay a tax. Am I, when I'm doing that, am I acknowledging that Caesar is actually a God again for a good Jew. There is no other God but, but, but Yahweh, the one true God. That's like the central mantra that the Jews would repeat over and over at the beginning and the end of every one of their prayer times. God is one, the first commandment don't have any other gods before you. And now we're occupied by these people, so we're feeling this oppression. We're being taxed. We're being like isolated and controlled. This is not how it's all supposed to work out. And now we're supposed to pay tax and tribute. And on the very coin, which is the communication method of who's in charge, his coin says, Caesar is Lord. And I'm supposed to give this, I'm supposed to tithe my money back to the empire. Am I giving money? You can see for a good religious Jew. This is, this is a, a, a difficult situation to be in. If you don't pay the tax, then you're in danger of rebelling against the empire and the Caesars kill those who rebel. Sometimes people have this funny thing, like Jesus was the first and only person ever crucified, you know, maybe besides the two guys on his side. Crucifixion was kind of a normal thing. This is something they would do to display power. These are our enemies. These are the people who aren't measuring up. We're going to throw them on the cross for everyone to see. Interesting aside when it comes to this, those of you who know the scriptures a little bit, some religious leaders, there's this great story, they want to trap Jesus. This happens a lot. Religious leaders going to Jesus and they want to kind of catch him. It was like these fun rabbinical games. Anyone have friends you play games like this sort of with? Not necessarily with the Bible, but they're always like trying to one-up you. Or it's just a little like cynical or they're digging. or like, hey, did you know that? (laughs) These aren't good friends. (laughs) Should we... There's a story, right? And here's how the story goes. The religious leaders come to Jesus and they say, "Should we pay tribute to Caesar, the worshipped son of a worshiped God?" Jesus says this. You know the story? You give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's." So what does that say, first of all? It says that Caesar's not God. Jesus is actually saying, "Well, give to Caesar's what's Caesar, and give to God's what's God's. The first commandment is thou shalt not have any other gods. And the second is thou shalt not make any graven images or idols. So if you're a Jew trying to obey the Ten Commandments, this, again, is an issue. So when Jesus is asked, like, should we pay, Jesus says what? Show me a coin, which means two things. One, does Jesus have a coin? <laughs> I know exactly who that was. And two... Who does in this story? These religious leaders. Who's got a coin? Right? He's saying, like, like Caesar, if if you're saying Caesar's the son of God, I don't even have one of these. Give to Caesars what Caesar is. I don't worship Caesar. It's brilliant. He's like, who actually has one? Oh, you have one of these? You should you should consider following Jesus. He's really smart. Alright, back to the story. Now, Tiberius has an issue because he can't be everywhere at once. So in this region of Judea, where Jerusalem is, Caesar appointed a Roman to go to Jerusalem and rule in his place. So this is what I mean by like puppet kings or governors. He needs people in place, right, that uh, extend his reach, that are loyal. The man he chose to rule on behalf of the empire was a man named Pilate. He is the governor of the land... Uh, His ruler, I think we have a little headshot of Pilate, looking nice, solid dude. His job entailed of living in Israel, uh, ruling, trying to maintain order. And if you're Pilate, uh, your job really is to keep things under control. It's really simple. Make sure taxes are coming in, make sure revenue is coming in, and make sure there's not any revolt. Your job is to maintain order. Pilate, we know from history, did not live in Jerusalem, which raises the question... In the, all of the gospel accounts and the scriptures that describe the scene that's happening, Pilate is in Jerusalem. Pilate lived in Caesarea, which is uh, northwest of Jerusalem. Northwest of Jerusalem. So, here is why sh- scholars say that he was in Jerusalem. This makes a lot of sense from what we know of from extra-biblical sources uh, that we found of history around this time. Luke 21.1 says, Now at the festival of unleavened bread which is called the Passover, was near. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death. So Passover is going on. This is what Passover is all about. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 3, verse 7. This is actually incredibly important to the story as to why Pilate, who is the puppet king of Caesar, is in Jerusalem at the same time that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, coming in from Caesarea Philippi from the northwest. Luke, uh, sorry, Exodus 3, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. So this is far in the past. This is the history of these Jewish people. This is why they're celebrating Passover. God heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. A few verses later, the cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So the Jewish people in the story are living in the land of Egypt, enslaved by Pharaoh, and God sends a messenger to them. God is the God who hears the cry of these oppressed people and responds. God rescues these slaves out from under the hand of a foreign oppressor, and they would gather to celebrate this At Passover. A central part of Jewish history. Arguably the most important story in their whole canon. And they come together to celebrate being liberated by an oppressive regime. There may have been a revolt in history actually a little ways before this. That didn't turn out so good for Rome as well. You can see why during the time of Passover... Pilate might want to be keeping the peace in Israel. Things we know from history about how many folks would gather in, 200,000 Jews or so, that's like a middle-of-the-road number, could have been a little less, a little more, would gather to celebrate at the temple temple where God brought them out of slavery. 200,000 people, like downtown, celebrating. Hey, remember that one time when we were oppressed and we were free? Let's remember that, because that's not happening now. And they bounced. I don't know. If you're a pilot, you're not excited about Passover. Your job is to maintain order. And here they are celebrating this overthrow of sorts. You do not want them celebrating too loudly. You do not want them celebrating too long. Your job as pilot is to keep these people well behaved. And if you know that 200,000 people from Jerusalem are coming, how do you send a message that says, don't even think about it? I know you've had delusions of grandeur before, and the Jews had. Don't even think about it. So, once a year, Pilate would leave Caesarea and march into Jerusalem. It would begin with a big Roman eagle in the beginning of this parade saying that the Roman Empire is coming. Have you ever seen a large group of people processing with a giant eagle in front? Does this bring about any, any memories of recent history? Hitler. Hitler loved the Romans. He loved borrowing their imagery. Interesting. <laughs> then, behind, behind that came standard bears with flags of all of Caesar and their divine titles. All of these Caesar is Lord and type statements. Resistance is futile. Thought that was a Star Trek line. It's actually Rome. Um, listing <laughs> Trekkies. Anybody? No. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. I'm not. You're you're alone. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. Listing all the battles that they had actually won on these flags. Then came centurions, legionnaires, cavalrymen. First, the soldiers marching with metal shields, uh, and they would do this rhythmic clanking thing. There's literally, they found um, books that outline, uh, like, what the, the mod, what the parade would look like and how this thing would roll. We obviously don't have any recordings of this, but they would be like, when you enter a town, and at this point, and at this point, and this is how you'd line up, and this is how you do your thing. This is, like, bottom line, this is like the M1 tank of their day, <laughs> And at some point, Pontius Pilate himself would go by adoring crowds, yelling, hail to Pilate, hail to Caesar. It was a show of force, a display of power, sending this message. And then, of course, they have the cross. Oftentimes, uh, especially around the times just post the last revolt, the Maccabean revolt, you'd have crosses lining the roads. It would just kill people. Everything is about power, strength, and domination. The Roman army on the march evoked fear and terror. March through your village to let you know who rules the world. Girls. So, at this time, 80 to 90% of people in Israel are peasants and simple farmers, the working class, good people living off the land. The Roman army is marching through your village saying, don't even think about it. This is what's happening. So, farmers and peasants, as folks are walking through. Same week, something else happens. If you have your Bibles, Luke 19. This is another account of what's happening around this time by a different writer. Luke 19, verse 28. Is that right? Look at the screen. Yeah. Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus said that he went up ahead going... Up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a coat tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? say, The Lord needs it. Luke 19 describes an event which happens the same week, and he's coming from, it says, He's in the Mount of Olives. I just reference this. We'll get to the whole story in a minute. I reference this because Luke says this is where he is. Caesar is processing from the west, coming down the coast with his route and then over to Jerusalem. Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, coming in from the east. They bring the donkey to Jesus in verse 35, uh, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it uh, as he went along. People spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Blessed is the king. This is what they're saying. Blessed is the king. What word is not the word to be using and shouting at this time? King! Somebody else is coming in from the other side of the city. Somebody else is coming in to ensure that there is going to be peace. You are under occupied rule. This was not just because Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. This has larger political realities that are happening in this place. A large crowd of people shouting about another king is not a good thing. Pilate has just entered, and what do the religious people say? What did we just read? Shh! Stop! Like, what are you doing? He rebukes the disciples. Why aren't you telling them to stop? Now, the crowds. The crowds, because they have the sense that Jesus is the Messiah... They think that he's going to be the one to actually overthrow Rome. They're fired up. We know this from the disciples because the disciples, these followers of Jesus that are closest to him, they have this sense that what Jesus is here to do is by military might take back the nation of Israel because that was their reading of what was going to happen. That's what this. If he's really the Messiah, then this is what's going to happen. And this was fresh in their memory from the revolt that had happened sooner. So the, they're, they're screaming out, we have nothing to fear because the Messiah is here. Last bit of context. You following me so far? Just kind of giving you pockets here as we go back and then we'll read the story. You should have received a palm branch as you came in. Everyone got your palm branch? Let me get a little wave, a little something, something. When Jesus rode into town in, on a donkey, the people waved branches. There's a story behind these. Every, ever since the time of exile, the Jewish people had always suffered under some sort of Roman Empire, like we read before. In all that time, there had only been one successful revolution. This is the one I keep referencing, a man named Judas the Maccabean. He defeated some of the empire, part of the empire that was ruled by Alexander the Great. When Judas Maccabee uh, processed back into Jerusalem, the crowds celebrated him by waving palm branches. And when he minted coins, he stamped a palm branch on them. You can look this like this you can actually see they found images of the coin for the Maccabean Revolt. The palm branch. Not only are they gathered on Passover to celebrate the time that God had removed like the, the oppressive yoke of the empire, they're waving palm branches like the Maccabean Revolt. That wasn't that long ago. On um, branches, these symbols of Jewish rebellion, you can understand why the religious leaders are like, Stop it. Stop it. Don't do <laughs> Here's our text As they approached Jerusalem, came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. I always wonder like who that person was who had the donkey. And somebody came up and was like, "Uh, the Lord needs it? (laughs) And he's like, oh, yeah, we've been heckling over this. You should have just said that here. (laughs) Try that. Like, you want your buddy's TV, you're like... The Lord needs it? See what happens. You never know. (laughs) If anyone says anything to you. uh, This took place to fulfill. This is why this is important. What was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see. So now the writer in Matthew is quoting Zechariah. He's quoting an Old Testament scripture. It says this is when the Messiah comes. This is what's going to happen. Say to a daughter, Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their clo- cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread the cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, 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 to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus doesn't walk. He does something else. How he enters the city is loaded with significance. You're a king that comes gentle and riding on a donkey. Jesus rides in to say, I am the one who is coming. Now, an important phrase. You can put this next word up. You can put this next word up. Rames, Rames, Remes. Here we go. So, this is an incredibly important thing. When you see in the New Testament, people are quoting scripture all the time. The Old Testament. This is, um, what would, when Jesus is on the cross... Says, Father, why? He says, um, Father, why have you forsaken me? This is an example of this. He's highlighting the beginning of the psalm or a particular part in a writing and then expects everyone else who's reading it, especially the Jewish audience, to know the rest of the text. Because if you're a good Jew, you're not carrying around like pocket Bible. You've got it in your head, especially the disciples. So, this is interesting because what he mentions in this passage, and, and we could just... Just by what is written there in Matthew, right, we understand that Matthew is saying, hey, hey, look, what's happening here was prophesied by the writers back here in the Old Testament, Zechariah. He said that this was going to happen. This is how the Messiah would come. So when Matthew mentions this, he's also expecting a trigger that the rest of that text, like, you're going to know. Here's what's fascinating about the rest of that text. Rejoice, this is what's in Matthew. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's what Matthew gives us in the text. This is the rest of that passage, or the next, just even the next section. I will take away the chariots of, from Ephraim that's, a way, Ephraim, that's a way of saying basically the Jewish people, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He's not just cherry picking a passage. He's like, this is the whole section. The part that's not in there. I will take away the chariots from the Jewish people and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. A chariot is a symbol of war. He takes away the weapons of war from the Jewish people and declares peace to the nations. This is the passage that Matthew wants us to know. Jesus enters from the east. And he doesn't enter on a horse or on a foot, but on a donkey. Because Zachariah said some things about a future king. He will come on a donkey because he is opposed to the ways of war. He will take away the weapons of war and will extend peace. Pilate enters from the west, garbed and armed in all of the trappings of war. Jesus enters from the east on a donkey. There is a contrast Jesus is announcing his kingship. He's king. He's savior. He is the Messiah. He is the one that's to come. And my kingdom that will go on and be breaking through in this good world. That the church will be at the center of my people announcing and demonstrating this kingdom is totally at odds with the kingdoms of the world. Jesus, one writer says, Dominic Crossham says, Jesus stages an intentionally visual reality. An intentionally visual reality. How things really are and how they really should be. He gives us a picture. We see Matthew and Luke and these writers are giving us pictures. Matthew, a good Jewish writer, gives us the Jewish backstory punch. Luke, right? Luke, from a very different context, I won't get into all of it, mentions a different aspect of the context that we might understand in these first people hearing these letters would see the contrast that's happening. Now, what's interesting is that in Luke 19.41, This is after he's entered the city. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus weeps over it. The son of God weeps over the city. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, even you, even you who had only on this day, if you had only on this day known what would have brought you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. He goes on to describe like this will be disastrous if on this day you would have realized what was happening. If you would have seen with your eyes the the way of the kingdom of entering in through the east. Nobody gets, Jesus is saying, what's happening right now. They are scratching and clawing for power And they are on a collision course with each other. He's looking over the city, seeing the Jews. I can only imagine the Jews on the east saying, Hosanna is here and there's this excitement that Messiah has finally entered Jerusalem. He's finally here. And you've got Pilate coming in from Caesarea Philippi. You are on a collision course. Pilate wielding the most powerful army on earth. And Jesus coming in on a donkey no bravado, actually coming in with tears. Everything Jesus is doing speaks of a completely different kind of power. Jesus is actually claiming power. He is entering as the king. But one writer says, but his crown will be a crown of thorns. His throne will be a Roman cross. His coronation will be his sacrifice as the Lamb of God. This Jewish carpenter from Galilee would change the course of human history forever. As Christians, we look at this picture and say, behold the power of God, that this is a picture of true power. Not in some fluffy, like hippie way, love is more powerful than hate. Like literally laying down your life is more powerful than hate. This is the thing. Don't become the monster. We see this in political discourse. The very people claiming peace end up becoming some of the most violent people. The very people who say they want this to happen. We see the contradictions constantly flying. We see this in our own hearts. If only I could coerce and, and control, then this would be fixed, and then I would lay, lay down whatever's going on in my own heart. That peace is a more powerful force. In a marriage, in a relationship, with your boss, with your employees like there are two ways to enter a city there are two ways to enter a city there are two ways to enter a conflict there are two ways to enter conversation there are two ways to enter into the reality of tension and violence in our world Employers, what does power look like in your workplace? Husbands and wives, how do you approach one another? In the brokenness of political discourse, how are we engaging the other? Jesus weeps because his people do not follow a better way. As his people do not follow a better way, the question before us—horses or donkeys—is one that I think the implications um, stretch pretty wide. It is easy. Easy. I think for a lot of us in this room to say, yes, of course, love is a stronger force than hate. But as Rick even shared in his in his reflection this morning, right? Love is hard and messy and complicated and difficult and sacrificial. It's a blessing. It's where the life is. It's a better way to live. It's all we're doing as Christians is offering that up as an understanding of the world that that's actually always, forever, objectively better. But it doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that to think about whatever tension exists right now in your relationships, whatever fear and anger and brokenness exists in your workplace. Maybe it's even in your own heart, like the way your heart condemns you or wars against you. The offer, the good news of Jesus is to say, I have actually come to, to set you free. You don't have to worry about where your identity comes from. You have been forgiven. You are a child of God. Your rest is in your identity. You have no fear in death. We're going to hear the story in a week next Sunday of some of the implications that Jesus has risen from the dead. We have no fear in death. If you're that kind of person in the world, than the way of love, the way of sacrifice, than choosing the way of the donkey versus the way of power. You can see, right? Just practically, it actually frees you up to be able to walk that way. That all the, well, that's just not practical. Yeah, it's not. It's true, though. And you actually begin to find out that that it, it becomes transformative, that bearing the brunt and weight of whatever the, the, the power that's coming at you, the parade, the Roman eagle, <laughs> wherever that is in your life, actually bearing the weight of that and choosing to not engage like that, but engage in the way of love. It says in the New Testament, you'll actually like heat burning coals on your enemy. You'll actually expose, it says in Colossians, like the brokenness. Like you'll actually, eventually people will begin to see actually that that's the way of death. That is the way of anxiety. That's the way of tension and struggle and not the way of life. Jesus' death was not simply a collision of religious and political events. He rode into Jerusalem not merely as an inspirational figure willing to die for a cause, but as one who knew that his death would bring life. The death of Jesus was necessary to restore creation to God's original intent Jesus surrenders his will and triumphantly rides into Jerusalem on a donkey knowing his entrance would begin the final chapter of his earthly life because that is the choice we make every day, to choose power over love, to choose the way things are done over the way God intends them to be. Because there are ways that things are done. Right? There are ways that just we do things, and then there is the way of Jesus. We come to the table. Many have called the table in different traditions, this is like the table of peace. This is where God makes peace with his creation. This is where God makes peace with us. This is where God is making peace in the world. So maybe we be a people, an outpost, of heaven, who are centered on this. Like, like individuals and family units and home groups infiltrating our city with the way of love, with the way of the donkey. There was graffiti in the early um, first century that was making fun of Christians and they would literally put pictures and like all this commentary about being literally an ass. Seriously. It was like this slander. We wear that as a badge of honor. Yeah, we're, we're, we're people of the donkey. These are the kind, we're the people of love. When people ask around of, of what does it mean to be a part of this community, or better yet, what do you do? Oh, if you're asking where I work, I work over here, but what do I do? I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a part of a community is choosing the way of love and all that we do. We're growing and learning together that we might be a force of love and beauty and of heaven, right? This is a picture of the way of heaven. Heaven, we're told, is where the lion lays down with the lamb. It's the ultimate place of peace and reconciliation. And what are we supposed to be in Philippians? An outpost, a colony of heaven, to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so we come to this table Recognizing that God alone gives us the strength to do this. That God alone has made peace with us, that we might be people of peace in the world. We debate differently. We debate differently. We engage issues differently. We don't slot neatly into left or right. We engage our marriages differently. We engage our relationships differently. We engage as people who are willing to take the blow of the brokenness of the world that we might embody the love and peace of our Father. We are marked by love that says, no matter what you do, I've got you. And the table reminds us that we are moving in that direction. We come and we take the bread and we dip it in the cup, Christ's body broken and his blood poured out as a reminder of this love that has been poured out on us, this sacrifice that we are called to embody in our daily life. As you come to the table and as we close our time together, I ask that as you're standing in line, as you're singing, as maybe you're just sitting and kneeling, ask, where have I been entering from the west and I need to enter from the east? Where have I been up on a horse and I need to be down on a donkey? Where? Ask those questions that we might become people who as we come to the table are reminded of how deeply loved we are.